0: The presenting sponsor of the Millennial Politics Podcast is Tomka Designs, a company that I personally support. Tomka was established by two aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick and tired of seeing Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. They literally traveled the world to dig deep into fashion manufacturing, visiting fabric mills and factories, and handpicking the most ethical partners before a single piece of clothing was made. The best part about Tomga is that, aside from being a positive impact business, their designs are stunning. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with their colorful prints and impossibly soft, eco-friendly fabrics. If you go to www.tomgadesigns.com, that's T-A-M-G-A designs, you can try it out for yourself. And if you use the discount code MP15, our friends at Tomga will give you 15%
1: off. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm joined by Danielle Graham, the co-founder and executive director of Project 100, a movement working to get 100 progressive women in Congress by 2020. Thanks for coming on.
0: I'm so happy to be here.
1: How did Project 100 get started?
0: Well, to start with is, is just kind of the social problem that we are trying to address. So. Um, as many of your listeners will know, we have a Congress that's not really representative of the American people. So Congress today is, you know, 80% uh, male, 81% white, and Project 100 was, you know, founded by a group of co-founders who are all volunteers who want to see a different reality for our country and want to see. Leadership that is truly more representative of our population. So, we spent, you know, many months researching what it was that was really keeping women out of Congress. We talked to women who had recently run unsuccessfully or successfully, women who had declared in 2017 to run this year in 2018 to really understand what was the landscape of support like for these candidates. What were they receiving? What were they not receiving? And essentially, how could we help? In that kind of process of education, we learned about some of the biggest barriers that are persistent and continue to keep women and underrepresented minorities out of Congress. And really briefly, you know, that's incumbency. So our Congress, as I said, is 80% male. And in 2016, 97% of our members of the House of Representatives who ran for re-election were re-elected. So, you know, incumbency remains a major barrier. State selection support process of candidates remains a major barrier to diversity as well, and so does the amount of money that it takes to run a successful congressional election. And then we learned that the, the vast majority of women who do end up running do not actually receive establishment support when they need it most in the primaries. And so this is where we really decided to focus in, is on supporting the huge and rising number of progressive women who are throwing their hats in the rink. Um, who want to be competitive, but who need to win the primaries in order to make it to the general election. So we are, you know, by far the most inclusive platform out there focused on progressive women. Currently feature more than 330 candidates who are running for Congress, both at the House and Senate level, Um, you know, and that's compared to the most sort of similar organization in terms of supporting democratic women is Emily's List, who is currently endorsing 35 democratic women so you know that's fewer than 7% of the total number of you know women who are running next year are being supported by so that the major dc organizations
1: So, looking into your platform, how exactly do you define progressive? You know, there are some organizations out there right now who are going to support Democrats no matter what, even if they're anti-reproductive rights, anti-LGBT. Why is it important to be more selective? It's
0: a great question. and You know, we really went, we really considered this question extensively of whether we should be party partisan or officially non-partisan. And what we decided is that we are a values-based organization. So our platform in practice is the vast majority of our candidates are Democrats. We also have some independents who are also on our platform. And we chose values that were really the kind of deal breakers for all of us who had come together to put this together and for activists that we talked to about what they really care about. Um, So briefly, that is equal treatment under the law. So we look for candidates who will treat LGBTQ people equally and who have compassionate policy record or views on how to treat immigrants, criminal justice reform. The second thing we're looking for is candidates who are take very seriously equality of economic opportunity. So looking for candidates who favor public investing in public education system, who will favor a progressive tax system, and the last thing is, is candidates who take certain stances that, are, that promote healthy people and communities. So, you know, it's really important to our generation, the millennials, that we have access to healthcare um, for more people. So we're looking for access to healthcare, we're looking for um, how candidates will extend access to reproductive rights. And so all of this is listed, you know, very clearly on our website of the kinds of values we're looking for, but it was also important to us that we be as broad as we could be and as inclusive as possible because one of the major you know, barriers to, to having more women candidates supported is that there always have been these kind of litmus test organizations that say you either fit you know, DC's version of progressive um, or New York's version of progressive or you don't get our support. And we, we talked to candidates all over the country who, you know, needed a kind of system of support that was a bit more generous and who kind of fit under the umbrella. And so we want to be, you know, a resource for generally progressive candidates running nationwide.
1: So what are you doing to support these progressive candidates and break down some of those systemic barriers that you mentioned?
0: So the first thing is the three barriers we talked about is the incumbency, the selection process and money. So we developed a technology platform that is designed to engage American activists to support the progressive women who are running. So really, you know, we are designed for Americans who care about this issue, who want to see more women and just don't know where to start and how they can learn about, find, and support these candidates. So what we have developed, you know, is really kind of activist centered. So the first thing is if you log on to our platform, our site will it uses geolocation so we can notice where you are logging in from, and we suggest the candidates running nearest to you. This is important to candidates because they want the vast majority of their supporters coming from within district, their volunteers, the funds that they raised from within district. Um, The other kind of tool that we built is the ability to search candidates nationwide based on background criteria, the things that we heard voters and activists care about the most. Um, So you're able to use our, our platform to find more than 85 women of color who are running this year nationwide for federal office, the 26 veterans who are running, you know, nationwide, LGBTQ candidates, scientists, you know, doctors and healthcare practitioners. And then, you know, the, the primary kind of actions that we're driving people to take is to donate to these campaigns, number one, that is the thing that, you know, campaigns need the most, is small dollar grassroots donations that will help fuel their campaigns. We also enable volunteering, um, directing folks directly to the campaigns themselves as campaigns are kind of best suited to help direct. Um, what is needed by that that candidate at the time. And then we also ask people to help raise awareness for these candidates. So um, you can follow us on social media and learn about the the different candidates we profile, but you can also share the profiles of candidates that you learn about on our site with your network so that you can help broaden the base of support for women who are running nationwide.
1: So you mentioned supporting women with different backgrounds and criteria, and I'd like to look a little deeper into that. So the feminist movement has a deeply racist history, suffragettes actively excluded black women, and many were outright white supremacists. What are you doing to confront this history and center women of color, especially black women who have served as the backbone of the Democratic Party, as we recently saw in Alabama?
0: Yes. The, you know, the stats on this are really startling. So right now our Congress has 38 women of color, which is only 7% of Congress. It's a hugely underrepresented group. You know, if you look at, again, the ways that the party systems and the establishment kind of organizations have favored candidates historically, the number one factor that is used to determine whether or not a candidate is viable, quote unquote, is how much money they can raise in their first quarter. Um, and so these, the kind of the thresholds that are typically set can be really f- high to overcome for anyone, but especially for women who are coming from you know, communities that have less access to capital and particularly candidates of color. Um, so one of the first things that we did in creating our platform was create what we have as our trending algorithm. So if you visit our site, you'll see in the, um, the first page that you see that uses geolocation, we're recommending a number of candidates who are starting to show that they are really picking up steam in their campaigns. And we purposefully de- developed this algorithm to kind of over favor conditions that are outside of what kind of the establishment has traditionally looked for. So, we include how much the candidate is raising because if you can convince someone to give you $5, you can convince them to vote for you. But that's a much smaller part of our overall algorithm than some factors that, you know, kind of any gene can impact. So, things like their the percent growth in their social media following since they've declared their candidacy. Um, media hits they're generating, you know, things that really, if you are strong willed and you are taking your campaign seriously and you really want to win, these are things that actually don't require much money, it just requires innovation. So this way we're you know we're really hoping to level the playing field not only for women of color who we feature you know very prominently on our site and as a way to kind of search candidates nationwide um, based on that criteria, but for candidates of diverse and underrepresented backgrounds, full stop
1: so another underrepresenting background of course is the LGBTQ community and recently Danica Rome of Virginia became the first openly transgender state legislator in United States history and while that's definitely great there are still zero transgender members of Congress what are you doing to support and lift up transgender women
0: so this is another of you know the kind of background criteria that we heard was important to voters important particularly to Millennials, and it's definitely a you know aspect of being progressive that we really want to represent on our site. So you're able to search candidates nationwide who are LGBTQ. Um, there are a number of transgender candidates for Congress, including Brianna Westbrook, um, who's running in Arizona, as well as a number of candidates who are bisexual or uh, identify as as lesbian. Who you know also you know would be some of the first ever to serve in Congress.
1: Why are you personally passionate about this and how did you get involved?
0: Well, it's funny you actually you know asked the question about the uh, the suffrage movement because part of the inspiration for me initially was coming out of last year's presidential election. I had been, you know, involved and as so many Americans were, was devastated by the result when Donald Trump was elected president. And in part of my own discovery of trying to pick myself up from a pretty dark place, I had grown up hearing that I had a suffragist great-aunt. And when I did some research, I realized I not only had one, but I had two suffragist great-great-aunts who were two of the 22 hunger strikers that helped change President Wilson's mind about the right to vote. Um, So I actually visited a number of museums that have dedications to these women and libraries, where. A number of their belongings are are being held and realized that when women were fighting for the right to vote, they were literally willing to die so that women could participate in government. And we're approaching this 100th anniversary of women's right to vote. And in some ways we have progressed, but we have begun to plateau in women's representation. So at 20%, the last few election cycles, women have made you know very kind of slow gains at the congressional level. And so it was really kind of in honor to that history of the struggle. We cannot become complacent. We have to keep fighting and, you know, the more I'm involved in this and the more candidates that I speak to, and the more kind of districts that I visit, the more I've realized that you know it really comes down to changing the minds of voters. People may have a number of really great progressive candidates on the ballot in the primaries this year, but if you have a you know a woman candidate or an underrepresented or another member of an underrepresented group who you view independently as qualified and competent and able to do the job, I really urge. Uh, Americans to choose that candidate, um, because we know that once someone ends up it ends up being elected to Congress, they end up getting reelected and reelected, you know, the, the incumbency advantage really favors those who have made it in, so it is so hard to even get a kind of uh, a new member of Congress elected in the first place. Um, so, I'm really hopeful that because of the, the women's movement that we have now and the Um, increase attention to this issue that people will really try to reflect on kind of the, the biases that they have when they go to vote and see that there are so many qualified and competent and really amazing women who are running who would make exceptional representatives of their districts.
1: So what advice would you give to millennial women hoping to run for office?
0: Well, first, you're not too young. So we already have a number of millennial women who are throwing their hats in the ring this year. There are two women who are running this year who could be the two youngest women ever elected to Congress. Both are 28 years old. Um, That's Sarah Jacobs, who is running in in California's 49th District, and Abby Finkenauer, who is running in Iowa's 1st District. I think you know I've heard from a lot of my peers who are considering running someday they often think about it as this something you do many many years from now maybe when they're 35 40 50 60 there's really no reason as long as you are over 25 that um, you shouldn't start thinking very seriously about your run sooner and the reason I really advocate for this is because our generation um, is hugely underrepresented in Congress we we will end up living with the policy decisions made by our Congress longer than almost anyone else. And we have a really unique perspective to share with Congress. And so part of that is there is so much frustration in America by those who have been left behind um, in our economic system. And there's really no group in this country who has been further left behind than millennials. The folks who, you know, kind of came of age as adults during the financial crisis, We, our our incomes are, you know, 43% lower than the generation before us at the same point in history. And so why should we not have a voice in Washington um, where we can really make a difference and impact these issues? And it's also important because if you look at some of the, the greatest challenges kind of coming down the pipeline for Americans, it includes technological advancements how is government going to address the changes related to massive changes in our transportation system um, because of technology, and huge displacement in the ways that people work and in jobs. Um, And really, again, I mean, these are changes that are mostly taking place because of the innovations of millennials in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. And so I really think that we're the right ones to help find solutions for government and for public policy to ensure that we have an equitable and fair and kind of hopeful and progressive
1: future for our country. So, would you ever consider running for office?
0: I certainly would, and I say that because I think everyone who is passionate and who really you know cares about our country should consider, and particularly women. If I were to hear anyone who's as passionate about the issues as I am and as readers of millennial politics are, question themselves, I would really want to stop and ask why, uh, because if not you, then who? It is you know we are not only the future, but we're also the present. And the more that we can get involved and engaged and back candidates who are running right now and use our voices and our volunteer time and our small dollar donations to make a difference, we absolutely should. Um, And we should also think seriously about what does it take to run? What does it take to win? Um, And there are so many resources out there now to support candidates at every level. From your local office with organizations like Run for Something um, to the federal office, there are training programs that are, you know, hugely accessible around the country. And so there's really never been a better time to be a young progressive.
1: And lastly, how can folks get involved in this movement?
0: So, we are an all volunteer organization. So, we are constantly recruiting for new volunteers who want to support everything from our social media to the actual platform that we are operating. So, you know, special skilled volunteers who are UX designers or graphic designers or software engineers, um, as well as people who are just really passionate about the cause and want to help. Uh, The other pieces All of the candidates that we support need volunteers, and so we've tried to make it really easy for people to learn about the candidates and then um, connect directly with campaigns. But we, we would love to see as many folks as care about this issue really support women candidates directly as well.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming onto to the podcast today and talking about your movement.
0: It was absolutely a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, hopefully we can have you on again.
0: Sounds great. Thanks, Jordan.
1: Yeah. Again, I'm Jordan Valerie, Editor-in-Chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co. And stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening listening.